in order to establish a society that would run uh, under the anointing and glory of God with health and prosperity and blessing for that nation. And God gave this law to govern uh, this nation into its full purpose. And so with that, we recognize that um, those who are not following the ways of the Lord come into um, a bit of a contention with the law of God. And so we need to take a look at that as we look at our headlines today. And so this morning, I want to help you as the church, help us understand how to approach this issue of same-sex marriage. I believe that God is calling for His people to be like the sons of Issachar who discerned the times and knew what Israel should do. So the church needs to understand the times that we're in and know what to do for the purposes of the kingdom of God. We are in kingdom struggles here, brothers and sisters, and so we need to understand that. Well, I'm going to start with an illustration, but first let's pray. Father, would you help us to have ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to the church, that we may discern in wisdom the way in which we should bring righteousness to the nation and honor you in our lives. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you know that we need more than ever the ability to hear what the Spirit's saying to the churches, right? And uh, there are some of you that need to stop listening to particular preachers and listen to what the Spirit's saying because there's a real dilution of the Word out there on the radio and on the TV and so forth. And you really need to discern good from evil and rightly divide the Word of God. We need to have ears to hear what the Spirit's saying. I start with an illustration that is by Dr. Tony Evans. It's really an excellent one, and you may have heard it, but I think it helps position the church in the United States as the place it should be. Dr. Evans says this, that whenever you watch football or soccer, you'll notice that there are not just two teams on the field, but there are actually three teams on the field. You'll have one team opposing another team trying to score against that other team, trying to get their ground. Sometimes they lose ground, sometimes they gain ground, and they're in this competition. But that's not all there is to the teams because there's a third team called the officiating team. And the officiating team is on that field, and they don't represent one team or the other team. They represent the one who is the commissioner of all the field, the one who holds the rule book. And that officiating team calls according to the rules of the book. If that officiating team calls in favor uh, or begins to favor one side or another, they are no longer properly functioning in their role, are they? Why, we've seen in the headlines where some people have paid off officials and they have began officiating according to a particular side. The officiating team does not care about, in essence, who is getting what, but as long as they stay to the rule book, they're there to declare what the rule says. And they are, if you will, the prophets or those who call the teams to correction and to order. They'll call out a foul. They will call out offsides. They'll say delay of game, and they'll call the rules. 
That's the place of the church in America. The church is the officiating team. We're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Paul says that the church is the pillar of truth in the earth. We hold the standard of truth, and we are to decree and to declare what thus saith the Lord. Amen? So we better know the rule book, shouldn't we? We, we don't want to miscall anything. We want to be sure we understand what God's Word says and what we are to declare as the officiating team. If we would begin to root for one side over another side, we'd be off sides. Now, there are times you're going to have to understand and discern what to do, how to vote, and who to pick. But let's remember our alliance is not to a particular system of men, but the kingdom of God first. We will give a response to Jesus before any other political party or issue. Amen on that? And that's essential. So we are the officiating team in the earth, and particularly in our country. We need to be able to be loud and clear. We need to show up to the game, and we need to officiate. We've backed away. We've silenced ourselves. We've let this game go on without speaking up at all, and it's gotten out of hand. It's time for the church to rise up and take its right position as the third team on the playing field. Amen? Now, I want to share with you something that has taken place within probably the last hundred years, one of the greatest events that has ever happened in this country. Something that is amazing, that has shown the world how awesome America is. And that happened just a few years ago when President Obama was elected as the first African-American president. That was an awesome historical event. If you don't understand the magnitude of this, you're not understanding and discerning the times we live in. Because you have to understand something. As other nations look to America, they see that at one time, the African-American was a slave in this land. And for that man who was once a slave to now become the president of the nation was an awesome event of liberty and justice and freedom that rang around the world. Nations were awestruck that America had come that far and done that of such an amazing feat. And you've got to understand what that did and how that spoke to minorities, how it spoke to African Americans, how it spoke to Hispanics, how it spoke to the people of this nation and those who are minorities. It spoke loud and clear that this is a land of opportunity and an amazing country with a form of government that is parallel to none. And so it was an amazing event. And you have to understand that that's what's at the heart of a lot of the uh, uh, politics and issues here that is in people's heart of what's taken place. And so uh, I think you need to understand that and respect that for the United States of America. It was an amazing thing. But recently, the views have changed from our president. We need to pray for our president. We need to pray for the Senate, the Congress. We need to pray for all our elected officials. And he, he, he made a statement when he first came in that has now been changed. And you see, as President Obama uh, is a champion of the minority and a champion of really the, the vision of America, 
he's taken up a new mantle for another minority group, and that is the first gay president. And now, what he's done by being the champion of the minority group, the first black president, uh, and, and representing minorities, he has now taken on, if you will, the gay agenda as a minority group in the United States, and many in the gay agenda have brought that into the civil rights issue, equating it with the, the story of the African American. And it just doesn't equate. It is not the same equation. But you can see the political maneuvering of how he now is going to represent another minority. And uh, that's a problem because this is not an issue of civil rights. This is an issue of behavior. And, and that is completely different than the civil rights fight that had taken place in this nation. It's a, uh, it's a victory that actually betrays us, and it's a political system that betrays the people, because our political system has turned into special interest groups and corporate monies that are making the decisions uh, on either side of the playing field, and it's time for the church to again stand as the officiating team and say, foul, this is not right. Now, let's understand something. If you were to take a, a poll of the average American and ask, you know, you say that the, the homosexual agenda and group is a minority. If we were to take a poll and ask, say, uh, just how large of a group is the, uh, the gay community? And um, the average American, I would imagine, say somewhere around 50%, 60%. According to TV that we see, on, on almost every TV show, we have someone who's homosexual on the sitcom or in the movie or, or buying a home or whatever in the movies, in, in print. or every, um, We would have to think at least that percentage and uh, uh, the movie stars and in Hollywood and in the public activities everywhere you would think about 50%. You would, you would have to, okay, maybe we'd go to 40. But if you look at the most recent surveys and understanding, what is the homosexual population in the United States? It's got to be pretty high because right now the homosexual agenda pretty much is on the front page running the agenda of our politicians in America. They're funded now by almost every major corporation, insurance companies, and so forth. And you hear about them all the time. It's an amazing thing. So what is the actual percentage? 2%. When you consider that the pop homosexual population in the United States is 2%, you've got to ask yourselves, how in the world do 2% of this nation run our politics and our agendas of in our social format in this nation. It's very well run, may I say, and very well organized, and may I also say better organized than the church. That's for sure. And so how did we get here? Now let me help you understand something. I am not here today to discuss individuals and to discuss individual homosexuals, those caught in gay and lesbian lifestyle, those who need the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are always to share the love of Jesus with every person, every human being. It's a sexual behavior that is a problem and a sin, just like adultery, just like fornication, promiscuity, all these issues. And God has an answer for all of that. 
What I'm speaking about this morning is the gay agenda. The agenda, not only in our nation, but actually for a world. They have a global agenda. That's what I'm speaking about. But even more specifically, the issue of same-sex marriage, because that has now become the tipping point, if you will, for this nation. How did we get here? Well, we can look at how 2% of the population has gained such power and clout in our nation. You can read about it from the article Overhauling America, written in 1987 by Marshall Kirk and Hunter Madsen. Two years later, they wrote a book called After the Ball, and in that book and in this article, they basically set out the plan on how to take over this nation with their agenda. And so let's walk through it real quick. Step number one is this. Talk about gays and gayness as loudly and as often as possible. If you bring something into the forefront of a community and a people, you will get them so used to it that they will become part of the norm. And so gayness is celebrated in parades and activities, on headlines and movies, in TVs. It's talked about loudly and as often as possible. They have the money and the backing for movies and uh, all of our media. Secondly, what you need to do is portray gays as victims, not as aggressive challengers. And so they are victims. And they need to be portrayed as victims, portrayed as those who don't have the same rights as everybody else and those who are constantly bashed and abused. Why? Because America loves an underdog and America loves justice. And so step three comes into play. You give protectors a just cause. They said this, help people feel like this is a justice issue, not a sexual behavior issue. Uh, again, Kirk and Madsen say, quote, In any campaign to win over the public, gays must be portrayed as victims in need of protection so that straights will be inclined by reflex to adopt the role of protector. And so that's where most of America has picking up the slack because, again, we love an underdog and we love justice, and so we want to protect those who are victims. And that's why they try to align themselves with the civil rights issues of African Americans in the 60s and 70s and so forth. But this is not a civil rights issue. They go on and they say this, make sure that the gays look good. They're individual people, they're nice folks. Of course, and, and law-abiding, and all they want is love. They just want what you have, the right to freely express their love in a monogamous relationship. I'm not going to get involved into the individual statistics of monogamous relationships in the homosexual community, but you get the idea of what is being portrayed and how it's being spun. Now, again, let me reiterate, I'm not here to bash homosexual individuals, and there are many nice, good people that are homosexual that uh, I'm sure are your friends and many, maybe your family. But I'm here to talk about an agenda that is coming against the nation and, in fact, specifically the church. Last of all, number five, step five, make the victimizers look bad. Again, in their article, Overhauling America, Kirk and Madsen said this, We intend to make the anti-gays look so nasty that average Americans will want to disassociate from them 
in any way possible. Now, what particular group do you know that would have a stand against the homosexual agenda? The church. And as our nation is becoming more and more secular and the influence of the church is less and less, we become the marginalized group, though declared some 80% in the United States say they're Christians. 2% have effectively marginalized the 80% who say they're Christians to be a small, bigoted, self-righteous group that needs to be silenced and put away. And the problem is we have all but cooperated with them. And this is a problem. It really is. Here's the crux of the matter. The tactics is same-sex marriage. Saying that this, uh, step six, solicit massive funds. I forgot to mention that. They are very well funded. Um, Make this a civil rights issue. Same-sex is now an issue that is a civil rights issue. But the thing is, this is not a civil rights rights issue. Gays have civil rights as much as anybody else does. They are protected by the Constitution in all of their civil rights. In fact, they even have the right of domestic partnership, which gives them insurances and opportunity to move into hospitals with partners and visit sick and so forth. So really it's a misnomer to say that they don't have the same civil rights other than marriage. And the reason the gay agenda needs to go after marriage is so that it will dismantle the definition of marriage, which will be a direct assault on the church and ultimately God. The question is, is sexual behavior a civil right? If sexual preferences and sexual behaviors is a civil right, then if homosexuality is a civil right because of sexual behavior, why not pedophilia? Why would not pedophilia be a sexual behavior civil right? Why would polygamy not be a civil right? Why would bestiality not then become a civil right? If sexual behavior is something under civil rights, then it would open up the door to any sexual behavior as being covered by civil rights. But here is the key issue that you have to understand behind all of this. The issue of civil marriage rights for gay couples is an issue of public policy, not theology. That's what you're going to hear over and over in the public discourse. This has nothing to do with you, church. This isn't about reordering society. This is about our rights to marry. It has nothing to do with theology. It has everything to do with public policy. That is the key to flipping this on the church. Because if you back off of that and say, yeah, you you know what, this isn't, they're not going to have anything to do with the church. We don't need to worry about this. This is just public policy and public law. Well, look it. If they are able to establish same-sex marriage, then everything concerning marriage laws have to change in our civil government. And if all the laws change under civil government, the government now then has the ability to tell the church to stay in line with the law of the land. And now the, ch- the government runs the church. 
And that's the heart of the issue. It eventually will deal with our theology. The issue of civil marriage rights for gay couples is not just an issue of public policy, but in fact theology and public policy. As soon as it becomes policy, it will attack our theology. Let me give you an example. The board of the NAACP voted just a couple weeks ago to endorse same-sex marriage. In a 62-2 vote of the NAACP board, which includes many religious leaders, may I add, they backed a resolution supporting same-sex marriage. The resolution stated, We support marriage equally consistent with equal protection under the law provided by the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. So if it gets passed and the church will not marry gays or hire gays or let them be involved in their schools or institutions, now the church is violating the law of the land. Clear example, you'd be visiting me about 2 o'clock in prison for preaching this message if I was preaching it in Canada. This message would be considered hate speech right across in Windsor. And uh, as I was told from a brother this morning whose sister is a pastor in Canada, she is forbidden by law to speak against homosexuality or preach against it. They don't hand out tickets, they send you to jail. Now, this is reality, folks. Rosalind Brock, chairwoman of the board of the NAACP, said, We have and will oppose efforts to codify discrimination into law. And so that's what they're saying. We are discriminating the civil rights of the homosexual agenda. And she goes on and says, What does the gay agenda idea mean once government adopts it? It, I'm sorry, what does the gay marriage idea mean once the government adopts it? It means faith communities that promote traditional family values should be treated in law and culture like racists. So, if the same-sex marriage passes and you speak against it according to Scripture, you're a racist. And so, you will then be breaking the law of the land. This is a problem, wouldn't you say? Now, let's take a look at the three areas that the same-sex marriage amendment will directly impact. Number one, the church. Number two, the children. And number three, ultimately, our society. Let's first of all take a look at the church. What does same-sex marriage do? It assaults the sovereignty and the created order of God. It, it assaults the inspiration of Scripture. Because the Bible clearly indicates that homosexuality is a sin. Now, I'm going to reiterate this. Just as adultery is, just as fornication is, and all other sexual behavior that even in the book of Leviticus talks against offering your children to the fire, bestiality, and sexual activity in places you should not, uh, and relationships you should not have. Now, we need to make sure we understand what the argument is. If you look at the book of Leviticus, chapter 18, verse 22, when God is giving the law code to Israel for its health and sustainability, it talks about sexual behavior that is unclean and unacceptable because of what it can do to the society. 
God cares for his people. And he specifically says this in Leviticus 18.22. Do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. Now, if you'll look on the internet, if you'll read the blogs of the different folks and those of the homosexual agenda and those in the Christian church that favor gay union marriage and homosexual lifestyle, they will tell you that the Bible is ambiguous and unclear as to where it stands with the issue of homosexuality. I don't understand that. That seems really clear to me. And according now with Leviticus 18, the main argument is that's Old Testament. Read the rest of Leviticus. It talks about, you know, all these other issues that you don't pay attention to, eating shellfish and all that. And they said, that's Old Testament. We're not under the law. Paul said that we're no longer under the law. So since we're not under the law, that verse no longer applies to society or people. And if it does, you Christians are hypocrites because you you're eating shellfish and you're doing this and that. They don't understand the application of the law and the grace of the New Testament. <clears throat> Paul says we're not under the law in the sense that we are no longer under the curse of the law. We're not under the condemnation that the law condemns us. But we understand the fulfillment of the law in Christ Jesus. And we understand that the law should be lived out of us in righteousness and what God understood as wrong behavior sexually, he still understands it to be wrong behavior. And that's Leviticus 18. Well, let's go to the New Testament then. Maybe the New Testament doesn't say that homosexuality is wrong. Romans 1, 26 and 27. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural, natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty of their error. That seems pretty clear to me too. The problem is they say that's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about homosexuality. It's talking about homosexual offenders. Those who misuse their homosexuality as temple prostitutes. It, it's not there. It's not in the context of anything. This is really straightforward. But they're trying to gloss it, change it, twist it, so that what they're saying is God never has a problem with homosexual relationships as long as they're monogamous and loving. And, and that's just not here. It's very clear what the Bible says. But you see, the church, and a great portion of the church, is dismissing this word of God and saying it is all right God is love and we just need to all love one another and why are you people such haters we are not haters I don't hate anyone and I don't ho hate homosexuals I don't ho hate uh, uh, gays and lesbians it's the agenda that I must speak up against to stop so that it will not come against the right of the church and the degradation of our society I must speak against the agenda. It's just wrong. Altering the civil definition of marriage does not change one law. It changes thousands at once. 
By a single stroke, every law where rights depend on marital status, such as employment discrimination, employment benefits, adoption, education, health care, elderly care, housing property, and taxation will change. The requirement in turn will apply to religious people and groups in all those areas, including running schools and hospitals, nursing homes and other housing facilities, providing adoption and counseling service, and many others that churches do. If same-sex marriage gets passed, all of that will have to change in every aspect of employment and work that the church is involved with. The government will then control the doctrines of the church and tell the church it cannot preach against homosexuality and it must do what the law requires of it. Now that's a sad state of affairs. And they say it's about civil rights. That's why they're after it. Uh, John Steneman says this, So I submit that the use of law to redefine marriage when there is no legal inequity involved is a misuse of the statute. This isn't civil liberties issues and civil rights issues. This is purposefully changing the law to dismantle the impact of the church on society. And so the church will definitely be impacted by this. You can bet that. And the government will then tell us what we can or cannot preach. That's a problem. And who we can hire and who we cannot not hire. That's a problem. The second area it will impact are children. Our children. Already our children who are in public schools are being taught and educated that homosexuality is a normal alternative lifestyle sexually. That starts in second grade, third grade, fourth grade sexual instruction. And we have an entire group of young people who are being taught that homosexuality is normal and a right way to go. 2% of the population has infiltrated our school system, our education system, and uh, our entertainment system, you name it. Now that's a problem, and I can't get my mind off of the situation that happened here just a couple weeks ago. On a Wednesday night, Pastor Greg had the skate ramps out, and it attracts a lot of the local kids coming out and skating, and there was a second grader that came out and was like, wow, this is cool, brought a skateboard, and he was skating, and he said, what is this place? And Pastor Greg said, well, it's church. And he said, well, what's a church? What are you doing there? He had absolutely no idea and no clue what a church was. But he's being educated right now in public school as to what homosexuality is and the alternative for him to have it. So we are being too quiet, folks, in this issue. What's it going to do for our children? Let me give you an example of some of the court cases going on right now. In August of 2003, the ACLU, American Civil Liberties Union, filed a lawsuit against the state of Kansas over the state's criminal sodomy law involving children. The ACLU is defending Matthew Lyman, a homosexual who committed sodomy against a 14-year-old boy. The ACLU is claiming that Lyman's conviction is unconstitutionally discriminating because the penalties for sodomy with a minor are different for those of a heterosexual sex with a minor. Kansas Attorney General 
Phil Klein says that the fairness of layman's sentence should be a state legislative issue, not a constitutional one. According to Klein, if the ACLU wins in the thrust of their arguments, it means the state has no right to say that it is illegal for an adult to have sex with a 13-year-old child. Klein also fears that an ACLU victory will make it difficult for the state to enforce laws against polygamy, incest, bestiality, and other sexual perversions. Because remember, if it's a civil rights issue for sexual behavior, then all civil rights of sexual behavior would be free. The effort to abolish age of consent laws has been long t a long-time goal of homosexual activists. In 1972, gay the gay rights platform, for example, called for the abolition of all laws prohibiting sex with children. The platform demands repeal all laws governing the age of sexual consent. Our children are at risk with this, not only through adoption uh, and families, uh, but also in their own safety. Number three, the third issue that this is going to affect is our society. To redefine marriage is to take the creation mandate of one man married to one woman and redefine it. That redefinition of marriage would open up marriage to any form possible. If you've watched TV at all, the new uh, reality shows are shows about polygamy. And those who have more than one wife, uh, it would open up the doorway to a woman having many husbands or two men marrying a woman or three women marrying four men. Uh, there is an issue, this is far-fetched, but there is an issue where a man actually applied to marry his horse. make it legitimate. I mean, that sounds out there, but what would restrict, if you redefine marriage, what would restrict any definition for marriage? And, and family is the structure of any society. And so if you dismantle the family, you are going to dismantle society. And if you dismantle marriage, we have a mess on our hands. And so marriage was instituted not by Republicans, not by Democrats, but by God from the beginning. And it is sacred and it is essential to the well-being of any community. Just look at human history where marriage was never allowed for any homosexuals in any culture. Because it's the building block. I'm not saying that there weren't homosexuals, and I'm not saying that there wasn't uh, wrong sexual activity, but you won't find it on the books of most societies that there was never homosexual marriage. So we've really got a problem here, and it's going to affect our country and our nation, and so we have to do something about it, church. We have to begin to speak up. Now, uh, this thing's coming like a freight train. Don't think that uh, this isn't moving or it is moving just on one side of the pol political platform. It's moving with great speed and force on both sides. We've got a tough situation here.
but don't think that our presidential candidate is either going to make it go away or make it stay. There's only one way it's going to go away, and that is if the church would rise up and cry out to God, repent and call out to the Lord for revival and raise their voice of what the Word of God says and take their right position again in the playing field, then we have a chance for this nation to be restored. But if we do nothing, I can tell you within a few years this is going to take place and we will be in big trouble. Then we would have a very big prison ministry if you would speak up. Again, this isn't so far-fetched. That's what's going on in Canada right now. Listen, here's the problem. We've been betrayed by our representatives. We have a representative form of government, don't we? And that representative form of government has been bought and sold by special interest groups. If 80% of Americans say that they're Christians, why do 2% of the people run it? Who's representing the Christian vote anymore? I know there are candidates that say I'm Christian and there are candidates that say I'm for this and I'm for that, but have you seen any movement in any of these things? Again, as a representative government, we've been betrayed by our city officials and our state officials and our, well, government, uh, federal officials mostly, because when there is a vote concerning the uh, proposition that there would be no same-sex marriages in the states, overwhelmingly they've been passed. It's the judges that overturn them. And so we have a real problem here. But not only have we been betrayed by our representatives, we've been betrayed by the church. There are a number of churches that are accepting homosexuality as a civil rights issue and becoming defenders of homosexual rights and the gay agenda. There are gay churches. And so we are fast becoming the minority. The evangelical church is becoming a minority and you have to be prepared to be called narrow-minded and a bigot if you will believe the Word of God. You are going to be put to the test, brothers and sisters. That test will come every day from the people you meet with. The problem is we need to begin to educate people on what same-sex marriage will represent and what it will cause to happen in this nation. And so we need to do the homework and do the research. We need to become the referees again and stand in our place on the playing field and call it as God sees it. Call out the truth and the sanctity of marriage. Now, we must do this and we must pray. Let me conclude with this. Two stories I want to give you. Well, this is my interpretation of what I believe is taking place. In the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, three visitors came to Abraham. Of those three visitors, one was the Lord. And the Lord came to Abraham, and he said to him with the two angels that were with him, Abraham, your wife Sarah is going to have a child. She laughed. He said, by this time next year, I will return and she will have a child. Do you know how long they had been waiting to have a child? Many years, many years. And so as they had been waiting in the 10 years of the promise, Jesus showed up, what, 12 months, 9 months before the child was coming. Jesus shows up before the event's going to happen to warn us. I believe the Lord's warning His church. He sent on the two angels for the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
because he was going to send those angels to be witnesses and to see what was taking place. He always sends a witness. He always makes a declaration. You remember uh, Jonah going to Nineveh. He sent the two angels to go speak. He sent the angels to be messengers. That's what angels do. And they were also witnesses because you establish something by what? Two or three witnesses. And so as those angels go, I believe that they were the witnesses declaring God's judgment. Now, I believe personally, this is not scripture, this is my opinion, but I believe that there are two witnesses coming to this nation. One is abortion and the other is same-sex marriage. We didn't listen to the abortion issue. Abortion has been in this land since 1972, and we've not done anything about it. We've tried, but if it's a representative government and 80% of the population is Christian, what's happened here? And why has abortion continued? And we failed on that mark. If same-sex marriage is passed, I believe personally that that's the second witness. And at that point, then judgment has got to come to America. And when judgment comes, it will come swift and hard. I really believe that. There's only th one thing we can do. Pray. I believe that there is opportunity for revival. It's happened before in the United States on a number of occasions. Revival changed the land, turned it back from its wicked ways, and God heard from heaven the cry of His people, the repentance of His people. And as we pray for this nation, I believe we would cry out to God for a revival. Is there anybody willing to cry out to save this land and to pray for a revival in the United States? Anyone here today? Would you begin to do this? And it's going to take more than a scheduled prayer meeting. It's going to take the people of God every day crying out to God. Each one of us individually crying out to God for revival in this land. God, hear our, our plea. Hear our cry. Save this nation. Send a revival of your word and the power of your spirit to change the direction we're going in. Because if not, the second witness has already showed up in town. And we've got to see what's going to be done about it. Let me conclude with this last story. There were two men in a boat. One man sat on his end and the other guy sat on his end. And as they sat in the boat, the one man said, you know what, my feet are getting wet. There's a little bit of water in here. He said, I'm going to take my cordless drill and drill a hole in this thing and get rid of this water. The other man said, you can't do that. He said, yes, I can. He said, if you do that, you're going to cause a problem. We're going to sink. He said, look it, I have the right to do what I want. It's my right to drill a hole if I want to drill a hole. You can drill a hole if you want to, too, or you have a right not to drill a hole, but you can't tell me what to do. He said, I'm going to drill a hole because I believe that's what's right. He said, I'm telling you, don't do this. It's wrong. He said, I, it doesn't matter. You keep your opinions to yourself. You're narrow-minded. And he took that drill, and he drilled a hole in the boat to get the water out. And guess what happened? Yeah. The boat sank, and they both went down. At some point, how long are we going to wait? How long are we going to stay silent? How long are we going to stand still, knowing that there is a hole being drilled in our nation and against what we stand and believe for? 
Are you willing to be called a bigot? I'm not asking you to be a bigot. I'm not telling you to be ugly and mean. I'm not telling you to be hateful. That is against the doctrines of our Lord. We're to be patient and loving and kind to all people, caring and sharing Jesus Christ. But when it comes to a political agenda that is against the Word of God, the church must stand up and say, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Let's bow our heads.